I encourage anyone who wants to get into cannabis, bring something to the table, bring a talent, bring a skill, bring an education, bring experience, but don't come to cannabis and think that because you couldn't make it another field, this is the field for you. It's freaking hard. You better get ready to play your A game and you better get tough and get a strong backbone and figure out who you can align with that can help you succeed because you cannot succeed alone in this business. And even if you're brilliant and smart and everything you bring in, you still could get crushed. So come strong, create wonderful, good relationships that you can create allies. And then if I may say, be sure to have some fun too, but bring something of substance to the industry. You're listening to To Be Blunt, the podcast for cannabis marketers, where your host Shada Taravi and her guests are trailblazing the path to marketing, educating, and professionalizing cannabis. Light one up and listen up. Here's your host, Shada Taravi. Hello, and welcome back to the To Be Blunt podcast. I'm your host, Shada Tarabi, cannabis business owner and brand marketer. And I'm going to start this episode by saying that I've recorded this in the past because presently I'm getting ready to leave for Champs tomorrow. But by the time this episode airs, I will already be back from Champs. So I feel like these disclaimers are really only relevant when I'm attending an in-person event. But nonetheless, I just wanted to make the mention because I don't have an update on Champs just yet because I haven't been to it. But look out soon because I am eager to learn and share what I come across at the show this year. Now, I'm really excited for today's guest to be on the show. I feel like it is such a relevant conversation for brands seeking information on how to navigate publicity and media, especially in the cannabis industry. But before we get to the episode, let's run through some hot topics as it relates to marketing and advertising cannabis. There's been some interesting stuff in the news the past couple of weeks. So to kick off, according to Statista.com, cannabis advertising in North America is expected to hit two and a half million next year, which is up from two million recorded this year. And that comes on the heels of recently relaxed cannabis, hemp and CBD regulations as more states adopt policies, as well as Twitter leading the charge in updating their advertising policy to be cannabis friendly. Now, I haven't got a chance to personally test out Twitter, but if you're using Twitter for cannabis advertising, would love to hear from you, would love to learn how it's going. I think also with the introduction of threads, that's something that I'm paying attention to because a lot of people are moving over to threads and yet threads is owned by Meta. So from a cannabis perspective, I've been personally playing around with content over on threads just to push the boundaries, see if I get a slap on the wrist or worse, my account taken down which would not be good because, again, Instagram and Threads are owned by the same parent company. But that's not a shocker. Facebook, Instagram, now Threads, it's all incestuous. They all are controlling these platforms. But going back to my point, Twitter updated their policy to be cannabis friendly. I just don't know if people are actually on Twitter. So would love to hear from you again if you are and you're finding success or if you're not finding success, would love to learn either way which leads me to a report that was put together and released earlier this month by the Cannabis Media Council. The report is called the Full Spectrum Report, and it is a set of guidelines for responsible cannabis advertising. The guidelines encompass everything from responsible cannabis advertising by following legal mandates, best practices to familiarize newcomers with marketing and advertising basics. They include potential media partners and publishers, as well as how to compliantly and effectively work with paid influencers. And I'll link that report directly for you in the show notes below. But I think it's fair to highlight that we need to make a mention. This is a set of self-regulated guidelines. The Cannabis Media Council is intending to help create and establish standards for advertising cannabis. But there is still a complex regulatory landscape out there and compliance is an ongoing conversation. So Just want to highlight that for you. If you are thinking it's going to explicitly tell you how to not get censored or how to get your ads to succeed, it's going to be a major stepping stone for sure. But I think that we have to digest it and put it into practice and then work with these platforms to ultimately implement the best parameters moving forward for brands and really for our industry as a whole. 
But by the way, did you hear the latest from the FTC, which is the Federal Trade Commission? Earlier this month, they sent cease and desist letters to companies selling edible products that contained THC in packaging that is nearly identical to food children would eat. I feel like if you've been listening to the podcast, I've been bringing this up in just different news segments. Of course, there is a lot of cannabis products on the market that are in the shape of gummies that are animal related shapes that might be more appealing to children. We see certain flavors, certainly certain graphics on the external packaging, whether it is the likeness of a traditional candy brand that might be more recognizable to a child or not, or just cartoonish, et cetera, graphics. There's still an ongoing conversation when it comes to that. But I just think it's best practice. If you have to think twice about this infringing on a brand that already exists or appealing to children, you should probably just not do that. But again, I think part of the problem is these are brands that are not self-regulating themselves, right? And so they are then being the recipients of these cease and desist letters from the Federal Trade Commission, which you should definitely take very seriously. But again, it's an ongoing conversation. And I think that aside, I'm really going to be curious. I'm saying this with the straightest face I can have while also biting my tongue a little bit, right? Champs, I feel like the market for champs, which is a lot of vape shops, smoke shops, et cetera, there, it's a buying conference that's a lot of who attends in addition to the general kind of cannabis industry and things like that. I'll be really curious how many brands I spot that are either making something in the likeness of a traditional candy brand or are using, like I said, cartoons or certain flavors or types of shaped edibles to appeal to a more younger audience. So if you're curious about that, definitely stay tuned because I'm gagging, but it's going to be a lot. There's going to be a lot and I hope that I'm wrong, but we'll see. So then there's been another interesting topic that I've recently seen pop up in a couple of places, specifically MJ Biz just was asking this question out in their email marketing. And then I saw Benzinga also had an article that was talking about this topic, and that is celebrity and celebrity endorsed cannabis brands. And so the article from Benzinga specifically says, which I thought this was crazy for it to be true, just because I think jumping to the punchline, I don't know about celebrity cannabis brands. I think some do well. I think some struggle. And just because you're a celebrity doesn't mean you can sell cannabis products. But anyways, this article calls out that in California, celebrity endorsed brands like Can, the beverage, Houseplant, uh, Seth Rogen, and Mariah by Santana are making waves. I didn't even know Santana had a cannabis brand, but am I shocked? Probably not because he does guitars and restaurants and boots, etc. Anyways, they are allegedly making waves with their impressive sales figures and are outperforming traditional brands. The article goes on to say they're often able to charge lower prices, therefore attracting even more attention in the competitive market. So that could be another thing, again, just thinking of the overhead and the investment that some of these celebrity invested brands or these celebrity brands can actually bring to the table. But again, I am just always hit or miss on celebrity cannabis brands. I will be the first to admit, of course, anytime a celebrity that sparks my interest when Snoop first hit the market, of course, I had to try it. It's Snoop Dogg. Did it live up at the time? No, but it's also been many years. I haven't really had his products since then, so I don't want to generalize. But I really do think that it can be successful. So for example, I love the Willie Nelson brand, Willie's Reserve. I don't know, maybe it's because I'm Texas, maybe because they've executed it really well. But from your perspective, I'm really curious, what do you think about celebrity cannabis brands? So please reach out to me on social media and drop in your thoughts. And then I'll end on this article, which was in Rolling Stones. It was written by the Grasslands founder and cannabis marketing media leader, Ricardo Baca. And the topic was talking about cannabis beverages and what marketers should know about current trends. Again, last episode, previous episodes, I've been talking about cannabis beverages a lot. It is a very hot topic, in my opinion. And the article by Ricardo goes on to say that the industry's general pitch for why cannabis beverages will eventually be a powerhouse category is because adult consumers across the globe are accustomed to drinking their intoxicants. You've got beer, wine, and cocktails. And he goes on to say that as with anything in modern cannabis, we should also look to our peers in the CPG, consumer packaged goods space, 
where we're seeing a vast category expansion in seltzers of all kinds, both alcoholic and non-alcoholic. I really just think people like to hold things in cans. I personally have been really enjoying my Lotus THC beverages. Thank you to all the great brands who have made sure that my fridge is full. And if you have cannabis beverages that you would like to ship to me, I would be the happiest recipient to try your products and give you some shout outs. But just as the cannabis industry is attempting to change consumer habits, we are also witnessing a tipping point of consumer preferences, which is transforming radically. Again, I think people are really eager to find healthier alternatives. They still do want to hold a can. They want to feel something when they're drinking something, but they maybe are looking for an alternative to swap, whether it's non-alcoholic or in our case, a cannabis beverage instead of an alcohol forward beverage. And then backing that up with some data, according to BDS Analytics, the cannabis beverage category makes up a tiny share of the legal market. It currently is bringing in around 1% of total cannabis sales and 5% of total cannabis edible sales. And this is from the first eight months of 2021. But there is a substantial growth potential. That figure is still about 94% higher than in the first eight months of 2020 according to BDSA. And it goes on to say the consumer insights company BDSA estimates that the edible sector will grow from a total of over 180 million in 2021 to almost 500 million in 2026. So going back, if you think 5% of the edibles are beverages and edibles in total is 180 million and it's jumping up to 500 million, that's still a large chunk. And I think it's only going to continue to grow. By the way, don't forget the Cannabis Drinks Expo is coming up this week. It's going to take place July 27th in San Francisco, and then August 1st, which is the following weekend in Chicago. Maybe I'll see you there. Who knows? Okay, don't forget to give this podcast some love or follow on social media, To Be Blunt Pod. Please subscribe on your favorite platform, whether you're on Spotify or iTunes or somewhere else. Also would love a five-star review wherever you're listening to, and then make sure you visit the show at tobebluntpod.com for all past and future episodes. So now let's introduce you to Kim Prince. Kim is a respected voice in the cannabis media and PR space. She's the founder of Proven Media, which is based in Arizona. And she will share the story in more detail, but she had her first cannabis client back in 2014 and has been proudly representing industry brands from Arizona and beyond as more progress is made in the cannabis industry. Now, Kim and I have had the pleasure of getting to know each other for a few years now. We first sat together on a panel at the 2022 Cannabis Marketing Summit where we were talking about brand building. And then this previous summit in 2023, I sat in on a conversation that Kim moderated with four of the top journalists and editors in our industry for a really enlightening conversation on how to best engage with the cannabis press. As someone with a personal background in PR, I know the importance of a brand story and even more importantly, the value in having that story be told and helped echo from publication to publication. Kim comes on to discuss her perspective of working with brands and with the media sources to ultimately help tell her clients' stories. We talk about influencer marketing. I ask Kim for her take on the old saying, all press is good press as well as she shares some tips that you can implement right now to make sure your brand is set up for success when it comes time to telling your own story. Super excited again to have Kim on the show. So please join me now by lighting one up and let's welcome Kim to the show. Thank you, Shada. I'm Kim Prince. I'm the founder of Proven Media. We're a marketing communications firm based out of beautiful, carefree Arizona. Our office is actually located on Easy Street, so we love it here. We, even though we're from a, a relatively small town outside of Phoenix, we serve clients throughout the country. We love doing marketing communications for cannabis companies. We've been specializing in cannabis. We got our first cannabis account in 2014. So we have a full team. We basically do anything under that marketing communications umbrella. We do it for publicly traded companies, private companies individuals, brands. So any, whether it's a license holder, an ancillary brand, we provide key messaging, communication strategies, news, media outreach, and those types of things. Content, not the in-depth content that you do, Shada. Your content is amazing. We help clients more with LinkedIn profiles and stuff like that. But overall, we love what we do. We are so grateful to be here. I'm so grateful to be here today with you, Shada, because again, I watched your work and it's just super high level. So thanks for keeping the bar raised high 
And I'm happy to be here. Thank you. Oh my gosh. Thanks for the kind words. The feeling is mutual. It's been fun getting to watch you. And I think even before we got to meet in person, I say watch because I think LinkedIn has been a really great platform, which I feel like I echo in every podcast episode I get a chance to. It's you don't have to go to these events, although the events are nice, right? Because I feel like I connected with you on LinkedIn. I got to watch your work, got to get a feel for how you show up for your clients and the business that you're building with Proven Media and then getting to meet you in person, both at Cannabis Marketing Summit. I know I've got to see you at MJ BizCon before and now get to have you on the podcast. So really grateful to have you here and to have you lend your expertise. So maybe let's start with understanding, obviously being in Arizona, the state has legalized adult use recently within the last three or four years. Medical has been going on. Has it been since 2014? I guess I want to start with understanding at what point did you decide to go into the cannabis industry and how did that show up on your radar? How did you get that first client in 2014? I had a great corporate communication career and I got married late in life and I moved up here to Carefree and I was working corporate and I just, I wanted to change. And so Long story short, I took a year off and started some businesses, retail businesses, and hated retail. I just was like, uh. So I sold those businesses and opened literally the newspaper up here where I lived, did an article that I was getting back into marketing communications, and my phone started ringing. So I didn't even really, like with my other businesses, I had a business plan, type of communications, we always worked with a plan. But when I started Premium Media, my phone just started ringing. I had no plan. So I ended up getting great clients. I had Ace Hardware stores and some James Beard finalists and all of these wonderful accounts. But to be honest, Shada, I was so bored. I was like, oh my God, is this going to be what the parameters of what the limitations of my world are? Like trying to get people in local media. I just was so bored. So I kept getting this postcard from MJ Biz. And when we met Cassandra and you and I in Denver, Cassandra Farrington, who started MJ Biz, I, 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 well, Cassandra, thank goodness for those postcards you were sending because kept saying, come to Las Vegas and learn about the business of marijuana. In a, in, a, in a consumer sense, I had always known the plant wasn't as harmful as alcohol. I had always thought it was very medicinal for my makeup and my nature. I'd used it for many years in hiding because I, especially in a corporate career, you couldn't ever talk about cannabis. So I had this chance. I kept getting this MJ Biz postcards that say, come to Vegas and learn about cannabis. So she had to maybe this is too much information, but I love it. Yeah. On a, like, it was like a Wednesday or something. I got the postcard and I went home and I told my husband, I said, I'm going to Vegas. And I was, yeah. And he's what for? And I go for a marijuana conference. He goes, well, good luck. Let me know how it goes. So I hopped in my car, told my employee, I'm going to Vegas, hopped in my car, drove up to Vegas. Checked in the hotel and went, oh, what the hell have I done? What am I doing up here all by myself? I know nothing. I know no one, blah, blah, blah. So anyway, long story short, I put on my outfit to go down to the show floor and I did that and I picked up my first cannabis client and that was 2014. And I never looked back. The thing that I love, Shada, about cannabis, and again, I'm not an activist, I'm a marketing communications person, but it's the, the, we need to have legalization moving forward. And so I felt like when we got into cannabis, our work was very important. So it was nice to be a part of the movement that was actually doing something that was doing good for others. No, so, that's a very cool story. I love learning that because one, I want to highlight, I think it's really important, especially in our industry. And I definitely want to tap into more of this thought with you, especially given the nature of the industry that you play in, especially marketing communications. But postcards. I feel like sometimes we want to beat our heads about all the things that we can and can't do when it comes to digital marketing. And here you are getting something physically sent in the mail. So kudos to to Cassandra and MJ Biz for leaning into that kind of non-traditional guerrilla marketing channel. Yes. In the same vein, alluding to what I was saying, you are working in an area where I feel I can say this because I majored in PR. People don't necessarily know that. I didn't necessarily want to be a publicist, but I think that's what gives me a little bit of an insight into being aware of the media and how the media can help you and how the media can help tell your story. And so now I want to understand 2014, you're a publicist, you're helping doing marketing communications for this cannabis brand. Who are you reaching out to and what were those conversations like? Because I think there's kind of two realms that I see, and maybe there's certainly more 
now that I'm saying it out loud, but you have your traditional cannabis media sites like MJ Biz or Green Market Report. And I think as a cannabis brand, personally speaking, sometimes I don't necessarily want to always just be in cannabis publications because is that where the consumer's reading? No, I want to be in Forbes or Yahoo.com or Women's Health. And understanding that side of the conversation is not as maybe easy to get a cannabis brand mentioned into. What was 2014 like? How were you navigating that? What were the media relationships that you had saying to you? Were they like, Kim, no, we don't cover cannabis. What was that like in those early days? Maybe compared to now, has it changed a lot or at all or, or not at all? It was so fun, Shada. It was such a fun time. I will just say that. It was wonderful to finally be able to talk about cannabis. I had to learn how to talk about it. Did you know when we were young, it was like weed, pot, we never called it cannabis. So it was fun just like learning the lingo. And, but I will say in a media sense, uh, how do I put this? My point is this, the way that we look at media shade at is really the same that we looked at it back in 2014 as we look at it today in a certain way. We really slice it and dice it by local media, regional media, national media, and then international media. So we slice and dice our media geographically depending on where the client is. And that's very important, especially because every state has their own brands and their own compliance issues. So in addition to the geographical breakdown of how we look at media, we also look at it in terms of vertic other verticals, including cannabis and then mainstream. So you absolutely charted it in that there's cannabis media, which we love and we work with and we encourage our clients to work with. But then we also want to get some stories out into mainstream media. You mentioned Forbes. In 2015, we got a client in Forbes. She's got a very expensive product. It was a feature story. It wasn't like a just brief digital. It was a feature story. It changed the trajectory of her business because especially that time, there weren't a lot of record and reputation of businesses out there. There just, there were new businesses. So for when she got covered in Forbes, and her product, I think, was like started at $30,000 at that time, her service related to the campus industry. She immediately gave her the gravitas of being reputable and it changed the trajectory of her business. So that was a mainstream publication. We've had clients like Wall Street Journal, um, any of the major public radio, public television, um, any of the major media, they're all covering cannabis. It's a fun industry. Reporters want to cover it. We do media tours for clients and those types of things. We do media drops, Shada, where we take our clients' products and we drop them off to key reporters so that they can try them. So it's really a lot of fun. I have to say, after all these years, yeah, it's still hard and I still get my butt kicked all the time, whatever. But it's a fun business and a fun industry. So that's where we're at today. No, that makes sense. And I'm glad that you helped clarify that too, because I can imagine the listeners of this episode and myself included, those are always things that I feel like as a brand, I'm trying to navigate against, right? It's okay. I want to get local news. I want to get national news. I want to, you know, is my product based only within state lines? So I think for cannabis brands that are single state operators, obviously, if you're in Arizona only, you want to get picked up on your local news versus if you're Arizona and California. And so trying to build those relationships, I think, is really important individually. But if you do not have the capacity to build those relationships, obviously, that's where a PR team, a marketing agency like yourself really comes in hand because you've spent years building these relationships. And I imagine that is invaluable, right? It's so crazy. I remember just obviously too, reflecting on the Cannabis Marketing Summit conversation, you moderated a panel, which I thought was really well done. And it was you as a publicist talking to three or was it, it was four different media editors and journalists and writers and like putting them on the stage and basically saying, like, hey, let's crack it open. Let's discuss what kind of pitches do you want to hear? How should we pitch you? What do you like or don't like? And I think that as somebody who comes from a media background personally, I know a little bit about that stuff just because I, I feel like I'm more comfortable like cold pitching a, a reporter saying, hey, write about this thing. But I know that there's so much more that goes into building those relationships. And I would just love to hear too from you how do you build those relationships when I feel like, yes, some of it maybe comes historically because you were in the cannabis space early on having those conversations. But now I feel like the market is really 
saturated. And I feel, I think a takeaway from the panel discussion and just in general, everybody, and I feel like this right is applicable to a lot of different industries. I have the best burger or I have the best new vodka or I have the best cannabis. It's like, that doesn't work. And I even feel it on the podcasting side, the amount of pitches I receive. No, really tell my story. I'm the best. I'm like, I need to dig through. I want to zoom in. I want to do some background and research. And so how do you approach that with these reporters, especially when you are maybe meeting or trying to get into a new publication or, or a journalist changes um, and you have a new contact at a publication? Like, how do you keep track of all those relationships? Is there like some master phone book or, or a version of a phone book that you're like keeping? Like for me, I almost want to build a spreadsheet. Uh, these are people who have covered cannabis in Texas. These are people who have covered cannabis in Austin. These are people who have covered specifically CBD products, blah, blah, blah. And so I've almost made a spreadsheet. But even then, Kim, it's a lot for me to keep up with. This is the problem with data. It's really hard to keep up. Everyone goes into it with the best of intentions with that spreadsheet. And then it's, oh my God, I have to keep that thing up. And then because of the nature of the economy and media, people are changing jobs all the time. Right. So you get it just perfect. And then the next day it changes. Um, with that said, yeah, that's just right on. With that said, we use a database called Cision. Mm. And that helps us really target in on different markets, different editors. We can type in geographical, again, breakdowns. We can type in keywords. We can type in types of media, influencer rank in terms of media. So we use a database, but we also use our personal connection, obviously. We, Shada, we tell our clients, not all of them, but the ones who get it, because some of them still don't, but whatever. We tell them that really they're our client, but even more so the media is our client. That was a great point. Yeah, really, if we take care of the media, treat them well, treat them with respect, and Shayna, you and I have talked about this before, is getting the right package for them, making sure that press release is just the facts, not all the claims of the best and the biggest and the this and the that, but getting down to the facts, getting some great imagery, preparing that in a package that reporter, that editor can easily digest and evaluate whether it's great for their publication or their outlet. So we really try to cater to that reporter And maybe, again, this isn't necessarily popular to talk about, but I study journalism, you study PR. We understand that these media positions are not super high paying positions. These are labors of love. So to treat a reporter with respect instead of demanding that they cover your story buys a lot of, I don't know, just building relationship. And that's what we're really attempting to do. Understanding, Shada, that, And again, because you get these pitches, so you understand this. Just because I have an edibles company and I want you to cover me here in July doesn't mean that space is available or that we're going to cover that topic. We might might not be doing an edibles feature till December. Understanding that there's rhythms and cycles and editorial calendars to, so we try to be respectful of all that, put ourselves in their shoes, give them a package that they can easily evaluate high-res images and those types of things. And that's, so it's, it's in a certain way, it's common sense, but it's nurturing. It's nurturing a relationship so that you build trust. So when that reporter is a last minute on a deadline and they need a source, they think of you because you've always provided them the concise materials that they need. So it's very much just relationship building. I will say, Shada, what we try to do for customers or clients or when we, we even do not, I've served on some nonprofit boards and stuff, but really making sure that you have a communication strategy. And Shada, you said it, but who is your target? And then going, building a plan around that. Because even as we talked about with state-specific news, yes, in Texas, yes, in Arizona, because again, cannabis is so state-specific, but in reality, even say MJ Venture or MJ Biz Daily or Green Market, they might be covering Arizona news. So always never feel like you need to limit yourself. Always look for opportunities of what might be covered on a national scale. How can you tie into national news? And then understanding that even the national outlets do like to carry some state-specific or regional-specific news. So never limiting yourself, but again, making sure that what you're pitching to that reporter or producer 
is relevant to them. Don't just send stuff because you think it's important. Make sure that it falls into their editorial agenda. Hey, To Be Blunt fam, it's Shada here, and I want to give a shout out to my own brand of premium cannabis products, Restart CBD. As a daily user myself, I can personally attest to the effectiveness of our cannabis tinctures, topicals, edibles, and specifically our hemp-derived Delta 9 THC offerings. Whether I'm dealing with stress, body aches, or just need a boost in focus, Restart has a product and cannabinoid that can make me feel better. And our customers have been loving Restart too. Here are some actual quotes from our fans. Juice said, customer service alone deserves a five star. Always super generous when we come here. Also very professional and knowledgeable. Why, thank you very much. We take those five stars and we raise you a high five. And then Laura said, this is the absolute best dispensary I've ever been to. It's run by three sisters who are all equally knowledgeable about every product they sell. Ugh, Laura, thank you for seeing us. We really are out here acting like a sponge, just trying to soak up all the information. So if you're looking for quality cannabis products from CBD to Delta 8, and yes, even Delta 9, we got you. Head to restartcbd.com. By the way, we ship nationwide. All our products are federally legal and hemp-derived. So use the code 2BTOBE at checkout to get $5 off your first order on me. Our team is dedicated to providing you with the best cannabis products on the market, and we're proud to be sponsors of To Be Blunt. Thanks for supporting my brand and my podcast, and let's all restart our day with Restart CBD. Yeah, I think you said so many great points. I just want to reiterate a couple of them. One, yes, paying attention to the schedule of when these news cycles happen, whether it's topical things that are happening in the news that you can relate your brand to, to be relevant to pitch to these journalists or reporters, but also understanding that their cycle. I think we came out of the Cannabis Marketing Summit and I think I was talking to Brian, one of those reporters from the panel, and he was saying, hey, I'm working on August right now when it was end of June. And so just understanding that you might want a story to get out like immediately and you have to be conscious that their schedule is usually a couple months in advance, always trying to be prepared depending on two right? If they're a print publication versus if they're digital, there's more flexibility if you're digital versus print. And so I think that's something important to highlight. I think you also something that I really resonate with, which is just a reinforcement that I think is really good for the listeners to hear. Sometimes I think the things that I say or that I do are like, everybody should get it. Everybody should know that they should have a, a media kit. Like I have, I'm literally staring at it. I'm, coincidentally, it's on my desktop. I have a Restart EPK, an executive press kit, and I have a Shada EPK, and that has my headshots. It has my product photos. It's got a condensed version of my bio. It's got a long version of my company description and bio. And at any moment, that is just ready to be sent to a media contact. And I say that to say what you were sharing. I think sometimes we take those things for granted and realizing that Not everybody knows that they need to have those things. And so, yes, in one pass, it's great that podcasts like this and the content that we share can help educate people along the way. But also that's why you're in business, because some people don't know how to even construct those things or how to make those relationships happen and stay on top of those. And so I think that gives even more value and ammunition to sometimes things that it's like, oh, everybody should know media training. And it's unfortunately they don't. And that's where we come in and we can help make sure you're polished and ready to go presenting your brand in the best light. But I love learning about Cision. That's super helpful. I think it probably has like a paid feature, right? Which is how you access it. Um, That's very helpful though. Cause I'm like, oh my gosh, like I said, I'll be going through like different publications and be like, who wrote about cannabis? Let me save their name and save their email, which is a good step. That's actually, we work with an um, association who has a huge database and every day it's Dimitri Downing with me that he's one, he's a really cool guy and he's in Arizona. Great. I don't know. I feel like he's nationally known, but he has his team every day go through the news and mine for names of reporters who are covering the news. So that's a legit way to do it with precision is very expensive. We split it with other agencies because it's thousands of dollars. Yeah. So yeah, legit way to do it is to put a Google alert on for the topics you're looking for 
and put those reporters into a spreadsheet when they're covering the news and reach out to them. It's dual purpose to write. It's one thing and maybe not dual purpose, but the duality of it, of me as a brand and like them as the reporter, they are looking for stories. So the more that you can be prepared with your photos and your story and your concise pitch, the more helpful. And I think the better chances you have of getting that story potentially picked up or at least Coming across professionally enough to the source that they are thinking, oh, this person would make a great, or maybe I was the wrong way of saying it. You come across to the journalist that you're a good source, and then maybe that story isn't relevant right now, but they'll keep your name in their back pocket for future opportunities. So it's like you said, it's a relationship. How do you work together? Not just so-and-so at so-and-so news. You better write about me because I'm the best. It's, I don't know, I get 20 of those a day. You can't all be the best, but how do you start to build that relationship and work with the journalist or reporter, the editor to, to help them? Because again, they are looking for stories. It just might not be at the right time that you want your story to be told. Now you said something else interesting that I wanted to touch on. You brought up influencers and I shudder a little bit at that word because I come from the influencer world. And again, I feel like this conversation is extra relevant because I work with publicists. I have been on the influencer side. I am a little bit on the reporting side. And so I've seen it all. I understand the game. And it's also the trend, right? It's where the world is going. If you don't have a TikTok or an Instagram or a social media platform, what are you doing? And I think whether you're an independent influencer or your brand who has a large following, that's currency, right? You've built a following, you've built a platform that people pay attention to. And so I'm just curious from your perspective, what weight you place or that you've observed influencers offering value back to your clients in helping tell their stories? Obviously, they're not applicable for everything. I think when you're getting into cannabis content creation, there's even more nuances because the influencer could be censored. And if they're not a true cannabis influencer, maybe they don't realize when they receive that package of CBD gummies that could cause a flag on their account. And so there's a lot of things in there, but I would just be curious again to understand when you've got client A is coming to you and saying, hey, I've got a new product to launch. Where does that fall in the priority of national news, local news, influencers? I would just be so curious. I am so glad you asked that question because you probably do not remember this, but we were on the panel two years ago in Denver. I made a statement. I think it was after we're having a private conversation after the panel. And I said, I don't think influencers work. And you're like, ah, constrayer, like what sort of threat did you just fall off of? They work. And so I really tuned in. I listened and I'm like, okay, throw out all the preconceived notions that I have about influencers, throw those out and tune into them. And I was blown away. I was blown away. And then of course, Shada, that's when I watched your, some of your work. And I was like, oh my God, she's brilliant. She's, you are like, you are so good at what you do. You understand how to influence, you understand how to entertain, how to inform, how to pick compelling content. So with that said, I totally tuned into influencers about two years ago, I think, or when we met. So with that Yay. said, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. I learned something, Shada. I absolutely I appreciate that so much. Yeah, for sure. Influencers definitely have a, a place. It's very challenging because of uh, social media getting shut down and uh, the limitations. And like you said, we, we can get shadow banned. So we, when we think of influencers and this, I don't know, it's just our way to do it. And there's many ways to do it. But we really try to, again, develop a relationship with them. We created a, a dispensary grand opening and we invited, I think it was like 150 influencers that we hand-picked, hand-targeted, invited them to the dispensary, gave them basically a one-sheet parameter on what we would expect, how many stories, how many reels, posts, blah, blah, blah. Invited them to the event, did a lot of social content. They created content there. And then they got goodie bags and swag bags. So we like to use influencers in alignment with events or something that gives it a little bit depth, more depth and breadth than just sending them a box and asking them to do a post. Especially in cannabis, it's, it can be very challenging. So we want to create an environment that's fun, that where the influencer isn't looking like they're trying to sell a product or instead they're participating in this community. Um, so we love the influencer uh, spoke in the marketing wheel. We, we believe they're important. We have a, a task from a client right now to pick 
um, between 10 and 15 influencers from different targets because they're going to be launching some new products. So this client only wants to target on 10 to 15. We'll engage with them and see which ones would be a good fit. So we should, it all goes back to that marketing communications mix. Influencers, influencers, news. In fact, we're going to do an article on it, I think, for a, a magazine, but really that the marketing mix and the, the wheel of all the different tools in the toolbox, making sure an influencer's absolutely is one of those invaluable tools. No, I'm so glad to hear. Again, I think the term influencer has been muddied. And I say that being someone who's gone through it and still is in it and is trying to figure out how I feel about it. But I think it's, you didn't say it explicitly, but I know this is part of your sentiment. As a business owner who operates in this marketing communication space, you have to be aware that there are different levers that you can pull at any given time. And so I love that you have identified influencer marketing isn't maybe good for every use case or every story or every launch, but there are certain things that you can slot it in or certain ways that you can dial it up. Like you talked about this dispensary event where you wanted to invite a large amount versus this new client has a launch. You want to do something a little bit more intimate and controlled. And I think that's great advice, right? It's not that it's this explicit, send your product out to 20 people and cross your fingers and hope that they post. I think that is challenging to execute. Even as an influencer and as a brand owner, we've had a lot of hit or miss luck with influencers just locally, because I think we don't have a truly open cannabis market. And so you don't have people who have come out and made their whole brands. In fact, I think I'm like one of three people in all of Texas who I know who is, I'm a Texas cannabis content creator. And so there's not enough of us for a brand to want to go say, hey, so I have to reach out to the mommy blogs. I have to reach out to the fitness influencers. And so they're not traditionally covering a ton of cannabis content. And then they have also either been burned in the past or realized just through the grapevine, whoa, I don't know, me posting about that could do a little bit of damage to my account. Shadow banning, like you mentioned, censorship, like I've certainly experienced. And so I just, I appreciated your response to it and, and happy that I could help influence some positive light on influencer marketing. Although I know it's certainly changing and going on to the next thing, but I want to bring up another, I guess, split when it comes to content that I would be curious about your expert opinion. So when it comes to media and it comes to getting an article in a publication, there are what is the, I guess you'll know the more official terms for these. So I apologize if I'm saying things poorly or wrong. But I look at it as earned media and paid media. Earned is anything that, hey, I am doing something interesting as a brand, whether I pitch a reporter or my publicist pitches a reporter or a reporter finds me, they say, hey, we want to write about you in blah, blah, blah publication. And when are you free to interview? And that does not usually have money trading for my placement in said publication. Then there's Paid media, which can come by way of a paid editorial where it might have a little byline that says this post is sponsored by so-and-so cannabis brand, or maybe it's an advertorial where it's an advertisement. So you're paying for that space in typically like the magazine, right? I personally really, and, and again, maybe this is because I have that media like juice flowing in my blood. It's like, I don't like to pay for media. I just am like, I know there's earned media. I know like it's out there. And especially when you see a similar publication, like this page is earned and this page is an editorial there or an advertorial that was paid. I'm like, how did that person get the free one? And then I have to pay over here. So that aside, I know that sometimes there are different tiers of the paid media where it can come off more organic. And then I think another sub to that is, does the consumer really even care or notice that it's an ad? Again, I think some of these are done so sophisticated that you really can't tell. And so it's more just like my personal ego that's, you want me to pay how much to be featured in the magazine? But I'm curious to learn from you how you approach that with your clients, if there's any scenario where paid is better or the only way to to play in that realm and spectrum. And so I'm just very fascinated to to learn from you about earned versus paid. Yes, that's such a good question. And depending on the size of the company, what the budget is and how much energy they have to dedicate, we use what's called the peso model. And what we encourage businesses to do is to look at their own marketing communication budget within that. So it's paid media, 
earned media, shared media, and owned media. So we're talking here about the um, paid and the earned. The one thing, Shada, you've heard me say this before, but the one thing is that media does need money to operate and to publish and to broadcast and to pay their staff and their team. So we love talking about media. We always encourage our clients to consider in their marketing mix some paid ads because how do I put this? In a certain way, the worst thing you can do is marketing in marketing is put all of your eggs in one basket. Oh, we tried that and it didn't work. So we going to quit marketing. With messaging today and the way that it's everyone receives their messaging from different platforms, you want to have a media mix because you are a marketing mix because Shida, you might get your news from one source and I might get mine from another. So with that said, does earned media have more weight? There's what they call an advertising value equivalency. It's called an as. And basically what that says is if I get a, a certain amount of space dedicated to you in an editorial, they actually apply a multiplier to it to increase its value because studies show, I, I wish I, I need to find these studies, but that editorial does have more weight with the reader. And intuitively, they understand that it's an editorial and it tends to be more accurate. How do I put this? It tends to be more of an editorial endorsement from an, an outlet. These, again, studies show that people intuitively understand that ads are generated from the company and can say whatever they want. And I'm going to not necessarily strike that statement, but my point is this. With advertising, you can control 100% of your message. How long it is, how big the ad is, what it says, what the imagery is, what the headline is going to be if it's a print ad. With earned media, you don't get any of that control. It's like going fishing. You try to use the right lure, you try to use the right water temperature, and you try to go at the right time of day, you you cast, and you've done everything you can to try to lure that fish in. It's really the same with editorial. You just want to make sure that you're tuned into what the editor needs and get ready to cast a story to him. And yeah, it can be frustrating that you're seeing some paid ads next to editorial, but really the key to success is a blend of both. So if you have, we always encourage clients to, again, use that mix of some paid ads, some earned media. So just to keep, again, a well-rounded wheel. No, that makes total sense. And I agree. I think to your point of funding and supporting the media publication, like independently through ads, like that is a source of their revenue. And so keeping that in mind of not, again, that it's necessarily pay to play, but the flip side of that, to your point, is you can control that conversation versus if you are pitching uh, a conversation, pitching a story, and it gets picked up by the reporter, they have full editorial control and you might not know how your quote gets used. I've certainly been the recipient of some, I never want to say unsavory. And maybe my next question to you is because I feel like I, <laughs> I heard this and I take the stance of all press is good press, whether it's good or bad. But I feel like because I put myself in this position, every time my phone rings, hey, can we get a quote for this? Or hey, what's your stance on that? I'm like, yeah, I'll give you an opinion. Like I, wh why would I care if I say it to a reporter if I know I'm going to rattle my mouth up on my podcast or say it on my Instagram channel or write it on my blog? And unfortunately, sometimes what I have said has been interpreted or twisted for the sake of the story. I'll never forget early days we had like just launched Restart and we had started selling a pet oil. And this was like very early days, like early 2018. And our local news had done some searching and saw that we had a pet product. And they call us and they're like, hey, we want to send someone's news anchor down to your store. We want to feature you on the local news tonight. And I was like, hell yeah, let's fucking go, baby. Had our family dog come. We're at the you know shop and we're all ready to go. And we're watching the news that night and they had turned it into an investigative piece where it was angled, should you give CBD to your pet? And what happens if you do? And they had a live poll they were doing. Luckily, the poll was in favor of giving your pets CBD. And nothing we said was negative. You could just tell their reporting was, this could be unsavory or unfavorable. It is, here we are <laughs> trying to have the conversation. And 
I remember my PR friends at the time were like, that could have gone really south, Shada. And I was like, yep, mm -hmm, it could have, but it didn't. And again, have always had that attitude of, I really believe all press is good press because I do think that to your earlier point too, the right publication really can get you great exposure and do wonders for your business. I just see any time you get exposure as doing wonders for your business, whether it's negative or positive, because I think the reality is humans' attention spans are really short. And most of the time, they're not even reading the full article. They're just seeing a headline. They just see a CBD brand. In fact, the other supplemental point I'll mention before I let you answer that, there's another cannabis brand in Austin. This was a couple of years ago. They were the big brand that I don't know if you're familiar, maybe you are just because of being in the, the media PR space. There was a brand that had gotten a featured story in the New York Times on Delta 8. And they were like the big brand, but because they were from Austin, people didn't even pay attention to their brand name. They just saw Austin and Delta 8. And so we started popping up. So I got a lot of customers because they were like, oh yeah, I saw you in the news in the New York Times. And I'm like, I wasn't in the New York Times, but I love that they were and that it, in return, even drove business to me. And so again, it's one of those things, I don't really think consumers, no offense to the consumers, because we are consumers ourselves, we're always reading the full story. And so with that, is all press good press, in your opinion? Such a good question. I would say in general, yes, all press is good press. And again, maybe speaking of Dimitri Downing, he is so brilliant with the press, he'll tackle any issue. He will not step away from any controversial issue. On the other hand, yesterday we had a reporter that we could tell is doing a gotcha story on cannabis. And she's very nice. We really have a lot of respect for her because she's a great journalist. But we submitted a gracious no comment because we felt that no matter what we contributed on behalf of that client, it was going to be a hit piece. And we just didn't want our client has just decided that it's just best to just not get involved. So again, some of these topics get very complex. So really understanding, Shada, who the reporter is, like you said, what's their study? What have that past stories been on? What's the news outlet? Do they have any agenda? Kind of reading or viewing what they've published before. So in general, I agree with you that no press is bad press, but also be thoughtful do some research on that outlet and that reporter. And then like with the reporter that we spoke with yesterday that we had to do a no comment for her, I, I spoke with her. She was very open on the phone. She was able to give me a few types of questions they might be asking. Of course, they can't, couldn't give me all the questions, but I asked her questions like, who else are you going to be interviewing? What's your angle? When is it going to be published? Do we have a chance to review the story? Generally, you don't, but I had to ask it anyway. So we, I tried to really just ask her some questions to understand if it was going to be a good opportunity for a client or maybe it was just one that we're just going to pass on, let the reporter do what she needs to do and then breathe. I just, especially in cannabis, what kills me, Shade, is, is as well as I do, we're very pro-cannabis and we understand the, the benefits of the plant. Some people are still really anti-cannabis. So just understanding whether you want to get involved in that situation or not. No, I think that's a really great way to answer it and a really great way to handle it on behalf of your clients because it is something to be mindful of. I think we as an industry, again, I think because of the censorship and because we've been in the shadows for so long, we're like, oh, press opportunities. People want to talk to me. They want to tell my story. And so they get really eager. I should say I get really eager anytime someone's, oh, I want to put you in this piece I'm working on. But it's really smart to try to get as much information about that piece. And so you offered some really great questions to ask and supplementation to help you gauge if you do want to contribute or not, referring to that other media gentleman that you were highlighting from Arizona. I think I probably resonate with his attitude of, oh, I can spin anything. Let me handle, let me ask it. I can talk around it or correct it, make it not sound so negative. But I think depending on the medium, so is it a video? Is it a radio? Is it print? When is it coming out? Yes, absolutely. Understanding too, what's the history of the the channel or the publication or the reporter are really important 
things to be mindful of when going after press because yeah, it's one of those heartbreaking things where for every great story there is about our industry, there's a lot of really negative kind of gotcha stories. And unfortunately, consumers do still believe those. And so how do we use the media to help change the conversation while also respecting and accepting that there are still a lot of concerns? And I think that's a problem within the industry as well, that we want to glaze over everything is so hunky-dory positive. But there's an underbelly to cannabis as well that I think the media is trying to to use their platform to tell those stories. Okay, with that final question, you've been talking a lot about the marketing mix as well as setting your clients up for success. I don't need to go super in depth, but if I'm listening and I'm like, wow, Kim, I need, I need what you're talking about. What do you think a client needs to have to be successful from a media PR perspective? Is it high quality photos? Is it a certain bio? Is there a certain way they need to position this or have a, their platform prepared a website like when you see a client doesn't have something what is the first thing that you're like you need these things so then we can help start to tell your story yeah very good question key messaging is really the most important what are the three most important things that you want to convey to the press and maybe i'll back up because i i always jump right into the tactics because i love tactics but really marketing communications is an area that can be like a black hole in terms of spending money or energy so really understanding, again, who your target is, and then the strategy to communicate with them, setting a budget, sticking with that budget, allocating some undefined and miscellaneous, because there's going to be opportunities that come up that you're going to want to do, so you want to allocate for them, and then taking that budget and breaking it up into, uh, 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 we actually put things in spreadsheets and calendar them out. So taking them out and I will say with communications, we look at things in a very rhythmic way. We'd much rather see a client do consistent outreach than do a bunch of outreach and then go dark. Because consumers, whether it's B2B or B2C, they turn into a message when they're ready to hear it. So you can talk for a year on something and they won't even notice it until suddenly they're ready to hear it. They're like, hey, Shane, I didn't know you're at a podcast, you know? So always making sure that your that your strategy is consistently getting information out about your brand. With that said, yeah, the tools in the toolbox and you, I laugh because Shada, and I can tell you this and probably your viewers because, or your listeners, because you asked me for a high-res photo. It's one of the things I make our clients don't work with you unless you have a high-res photo. So you say, Kim, send me your high-res photo. I'm like, oh shit, I don't have one. Because I'm like the mechanic who whose car needs to be fixed, but absolutely high-res photos taken by a true photographer, not your friend's uncle's nephew who like took his picture in your garage, a media kit, key messaging. We even do what's called a boilerplate. It's the facts about your company, when you're established, where you're located, what your values are. So again, it just it's like a communications toolkit, just making sure that you've got, in a, if you're building a house, you've got your hammer and your nails and all these things. If you're building your communications plan, have a budget, a strategy, know your target. And then the tools within, it might be video, it might be podcasts, it might be paid ads, it might be earned media. But just trying to do a well-rounded approach for your company, if you're a startup and you don't have a lot of money, just bring quality to the table. Make sure that you've got a maybe one press release written about your company. Make sure that your website is comprehensive if possible. Make sure that you've got some great photos. And we love using, in fact, we have a photo sheet this afternoon. We use one of the most brilliant photographers, news photographers I've ever worked with. But if you don't have a budget for that, then study what news photos are and get some created. So whether, again, from startup, if you're a big business, you've got a budget and, and we look at things on an annual basis, Shada. We look at annual, quarterly, monthly, basically weekly, and sometimes daily with social and things. So really just look at a plan and. Don't just go into it shotgun because that's when you're going to spend a lot of money on different things that you probably could trim if you just go into it with a plan. So I don't know if that answered your question. No, it did. That was such great insight. I think, again, some of these things are things that maybe you or I might take for granted because we speak these languages every day. But even what you just outlined, it's giving me some ideas of what I can do to bolster my EPK, my media kit of 
Hey, again, I think of it as like, how do you tie a little bow? So whether you're a new brand who doesn't have a lot of content or assets, what is like the bare minimum? Yes, like great photos, great boilerplate, high res qualities of your logos go a long way. But then as you start to grow as a brand or you have more budget, like I have so many media coverages that I don't have in my press kit. I should have at least two or three of my highest top publications featured just PDF and put it in there. And so I think that's also sometimes maybe like a final little point too. I remember listening to the panel that y'all were talking about. Obviously, like you don't want to send someone like a three-page pitch, but you can have your key points, you can have your pitch, and then here's an attachment with my assets and it's just ready to go when it has more information in the website. And like you said, so it's all these things just blending together again, tying it up in a nice little bow that you can just nicely deliver. That makes, again, that media person's job that much easier to work with you which does go such a long way. So I thought that was really great insight. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And just if you're a startup and you just, like you said, what can you put in a box with a bow, so to speak, to help you convey what your company's about, what your brand's about? We work with a lot of entrepreneurs, Shada. They've got it all up here in their head. Our job as professionals is to pull that out of them, put it on paper, so that they can then use it in blogs, in the website, in press releases. So just making sure that what they have is put on paper as much as possible or write it down so it can be shared with others. Yes, absolutely. Final kind of question thoughts. I love ending on a high note. So what is exciting you about the industry, about proven media's opportunities in the industry? Maybe what's on the horizon, whether it's Arizona or just cannabis in general, what comes mm -hmm. to mind? I'm so excited and I will be very honest, it's a freaking brutal industry. It is the highest highs and the lowest lows and sometimes three times a day on both of them. But with that said, I've really been gotten a, I don't know, I'd fallen in love with the industry again. I've fallen in love with my work. What I love about the industry is that it allows us to bring creative solutions. Nothing, there isn't a lot of precedence in terms of what's worked so you can get creative. I love working with creative people. I don't know. Shit, I've been loving the industry lately. And it's uh, honestly, it's been brutal. It's been kicking my ass. Excuse my language, but I don't care. I'm like, take my ass. I can figure this out. So yes. puzzle, making sure that you show up every day, bring some creative solutions, have some fun, build authentic relationships. We were thinking about our business and that's really, we were talking about what's made us successful since we got into cannabis in 2014. And it's really creating authentic relationships whether it's with clients or reporters or just our community, that's really what it's about. People still like to work with good people. So we encourage everyone just to dive in. And then, Shada, I have one little pet peeve that I will say, and I could Here do a whole cast on this, but we have to end on a high note. But with that said, this shakeout in cannabis, has it, we've seen some really beloved colleagues lose their jobs. So that's been brutal. But with that said, it's also going to shake out some of the players that shouldn't have been in the first place. I encourage anyone who wants to get into cannabis, bring something to the table, bring a talent, bring a skill, bring an education, bring experience, but don't come to cannabis and think that because you couldn't make it another field, this is the field for you. It's freaking hard. You better get ready to play your A game and, and you better get tough and get a strong backbone and figure out who you can align with that can help you succeed because you cannot succeed alone in this business. And even if you're brilliant and smart and everything you bring in, you still could get crushed. So come strong, create wonderful, good relationships that you can create allies. And then if I may say, be sure to have some fun too, but bring something of substance to the industry. Don't just come. It's not a popularity contest. If you can take a good selfie, I could care less. Bring something of substance to the industry. And then that will help elevate the industry, bring national legalization forward, most likely, and all of those things. But Shada, finally, thank you for doing what you do. I have a friend in Texas. She suffers from some gastrointestinal issues. Um, cannabis is the only thing that brings her relief. She does not want to be on pharmaceuticals. Thank you for doing what you're doing in Texas. It gives me goosebumps. My Texas come along. Your work is very important. And also as a communicator, because you are 
appeal, you can speak to mainstream audiences. Keep doing that. That's what will help our industry. So thank you for doing what you do. It's very important. Oh my God, that means the world to me, Kim. I'm also getting goosebumps. I just, I admire you and I appreciate you so much and appreciate you spending the time with us this morning and talking about proven media and just sharing your passion and experience with our listeners. So thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you, Shana. That wraps up another fantastic episode of the To Be Blunt podcast. And I hope you've enjoyed the enlightening discussions and insights we've shared today. But the conversation doesn't end here. I invite you to join my vibrant community of cannabis enthusiasts, experts, and advocates. So what can you do to stay connected and get involved? First, make sure you subscribe to To Be Blunt on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. And if you've enjoyed our show, I would truly appreciate it if you could take a moment to rate and review it. Your feedback helps the podcast grow and reach more listeners like you. Next, head over to our website, www.tobebluntpod.com, where you'll find a wealth of resources, exclusive content, and our show archives. While you're there, be sure to sign up for our newsletter to stay up to date on the latest cannabis news and events. Lastly, I would love to hear your thoughts, questions, and episode suggestions. Connect with me and the show on social media. Find us on Instagram at tobebluntpod and at theshadedtorabi. Let's keep the conversation going and work together to dispel myths, break stigmas, and celebrate the incredible world of cannabis. Thanks again for tuning in. And until next time, stay curious, stay informed, and stay blunt. Love this episode of To Be Blunt? Be sure to visit theshadatarabi.com slash tobeblunt for more ways to connect. New episodes come out on Mondays. And for more behind the scenes, follow along on Instagram at theshadatarabi.com.